Carolyn Thomas will knock your socks off this week on Lifehouse Church's weekly sermon podcast. Literally, socks and shoes will be flying every which way. If you see socks hurtling at you at 100 kilometers an hour, you'll know that that was Carolyn's doing. Now, I am hyping this sermon up a fair bit. The reason being, I love what Carolyn has to say. She speaks on having an excellent character and what that looks like in the everyday, something we all need to know. As always, check out www.life-house.net for more Lifehouse resources. But other than that, here's Carolyn. As we sang, the Lord's word is life and it's light. And so I just pray today in Jesus' name that this word will find what God has for it, will accomplish the purpose that he has. I'm going to speak to you today on character. Lots of us, along with many others in the world, have enjoyed listening to David's podcast on spiritual warfare. Are there any fans here? (laughs) All right, I want to share with you an extract from the prophetic word of the Lord to David in 1989, 23 years ago. Even the warfare teaching I will place on your heart, son, I'll give you deep revelation, says the Lord, in this. Even teaching on intercession, says the Lord teaching about how the enemy comes in and how to throw back the enemy. What an awesome word that was, and I can remember 23 years ago, that was awesome, it was so exciting. Would you like to hear some more about that? Okay, how about the things God didn't tell us? Oh, by the way, David, a few points I didn't mention. One, this teaching can only be learned by, um, cannot be learned except by personal experience and actual real-life battle. And also, since your calling is to ministry as a pastor, teacher, and apostle, you'll get a lot of your training at the hands of your brothers and sisters, those close to you, especially as you learn to throw back the religious spirit. Sorry, boy, but that's going to hurt a lot. And thirdly, by the way, it'll only take about 15 to 18 years to get the, you know, the revelation that I have for you into you, and then another five years before you actually start teaching it. And now, not to leave myself out, because I don't like to be left out. I'm one of those type of people that if I go into a room, I want to say, stop the conversation till I come back. I don't want to miss anything. So let's hear some more of what what else God had to say that day. For you are going to raise up women around you. A boldness will come upon you, and your enemies shall flee before you seven ways. That's an awesome word, isn't it? Pumped. I was pumped. Well, I'm sure I was then. Awesome. A boldness will come upon you, and your enemies will flee before you seven ways. Hang on. But your enemies will flee before you seven ways? But Lord, I don't have any enemies. No, daughter, you don't. Not yet. That was 23 years ago, and I have enemies. I didn't know if it would be correct to say, and I'm proud of it, but... But on the one hand, I was saying to God, you know what, Lord, a bit of foreknowledge, just telling me a little bit, um, you know, 23 years, hang in, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's just that this tunnel's 23 years long, that's why you couldn't see the light. That might have been really helpful. But to be fair to God, he knows that we would have probably turned and run if we'd really known what would be required of us to get to the point we're at now. And you know, as well, I just had a chuckle while I was typing this. I realized that... um, 
With regards to the warfare teaching that's going out to the, to the world, and there's a lot of countries, we've been blown away by the number of countries that are listening to it. For us to have heard that 23 years ago would have been like a revelation or science fiction, something we didn't understand. Because such a thing was unknown 23 years ago, the internet. You know, David used to use a typewriter or a handwriter sermon in those days, and, um, you know, we, computers were barely even known about. Yeah, we're that old. Let's see all the young ones. I was just telling Ben the other day, because Ben's just starting his teaching career, and I was saying that when I started, we had these, um, when we had to make worksheets, we had the, I can see Rachel's nodding, we had the big wax sheets, and we had these like pen things, and it has the little metal thing at the end, and I used to, you know, you scratch on the wax, and that's how I wrote my worksheets, and um, then they got rolled off on this big gestetner machine, a big drum, and it's just sitting here with <laughs> and... Um, the kids used to love smelling as well when it came hot off the press and it was purple ink. <laughs> yeah, there's a few people that can relate. Yeah, so we're talking 25 years ago there, okay? We did have photocopiers, but those were just for really special times. The, the general thing of the day was making those worksheets. But those prophetic words that we received, that little, I just read a tiny, tiny little bit out of them, those were seed words of the ministry that was to come. There were words given to the David and Carolyn we were to become, not, um, you know, who are different and wiser to the then um, 26-year-old David and the 24-year-old Carolyn. And so today I want to speak to you about what enables you to stand through training whilst you've been, preparing, whilst you've been God's preparing you for the actualization of your ministry calling. Don't mistake this training for a desert sin, okay? That's something different today. I'm just talking... Although it might feel sometimes negative, it's positive, hopefully encouraging. I'm talking about the training you receive today, not correction. That's something different where God's dealing with you. So I want to speak to you about character. And I want you to listen carefully to these questions that we might ask of God. Because it's out of questions like this, situations like this, that your character grows. I asked God to take away my pain. God said, no, it's not for me to take away, but for you to give up. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It's, it isn't granted, it's earned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no. I give you blessing. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no. You must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. And those questions really make you think, don't they? And it's in correctly responding to God and surrendering your will and agenda to him and doing things his way um, so that when the heat and the pressure come, and they often come from God himself, that your character grows. And please note, I'm not saying that every time you have a, a difficult circumstance, it's because God is saying you're lacking in character and you've got to be taught something, all right? Sometimes that is the case, um, but always, anyway, God is going to continually work on your character. He will use everything to work on your character as an opportunity to develop you. Even when it's a situation that you're in that is because of someone else's sin, something that you haven't brought upon yourself or not through your own stupidity or anything like that, He still, in those situations, expects us to respond correctly. 
And every situation, whether it's your, of your making or not, is an opportunity for you to grow more Christ-like and to develop your character. And sometimes Christians emphasize gifts and power above character development. And I feel really strongly about this. This imbalance has caused many problems, and God wants to bring us back to a balance between gift and character. The Lord is not concerned with your gifting and your anointing only. In fact, I would say he actually doesn't even need to concern himself with that because it comes from him. But he is deeply concerned about your lifestyle and your character. Because all the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing come from him anyway. They're not developed in any way from who we are or by ourselves. They are, as they are called, a gift from him. And they're to be used for his glory, his way. They're just tools that he gives us to be used his way for his glory so that he can be glorified and others can be helped. But our responsibility comes where he expects us to use them wisely and responsibly. And so for this, we need to develop character, and that part is our responsibility. Character development, I'm sad to tell you, comes only with time and at great personal effort. Um, Lena, could you just bring my bags up for me, please? Thanks. my gifts. I'm very gifted. In case you didn't know that. Thanks, Lena. Okay, I just wanted to show you a little illustration. As I said, this is my gifts. I'm very gifted, but not to brag about it because it is from God. It's not me. So, and this is my character. All right, can you see what's happening here? Who wants to go through life like this? Who wants to have a spiritual walk like this? Who wants to be in charge of speaking into and ministering into people's lives, eternal souls, with a walk like this? You see some Christians, they focus on the gifting more, and they don't worry so much about the character development. And you see often um, with giftings in, in particular, not just exclusively prophecy, but this often happens. We've all seen those Christians that stagger around from church to church. Yeah, for five minutes, another church the next minute, okay? And sometimes it's because they've been hurt and they haven't been handled properly. Other times it's because they haven't submitted to the character development that comes with the weightiness of such a gift. Okay, so if I'm just <laughs> balanced on one leg, I'd be over. It's just like a ship as well. Think of a listing ship. Eventually it will just topple over and sink um, and another you know, illustration that I was thinking about with this as well is you look at child sports stars and child actors. They've got giftings. Everybody has giftings that are from the Lord. They don't all use it for his glory, but everyone has got giftings from the Lord. And often when they are not mature enough to handle that and they rise to fame very quickly or the gifting takes them to a heart, what happens? They often wreck their lives. And the same thing happens in the church as well. All right, so hopefully I've convinced you now that we need to have character. So my first point is, what is character? And Frank Demasi in his book, The Making of a Leader, has got some good definitions that I'd like to share with you. Character is your inner life. It will reflect either the traits of of the sinful nature, where you're influenced by the world, or the traits of divine nature, where you're influenced by the word of God. 
Character is the sum total of all the negative and positive qualities in your life. And these are manifested. We see them and they come out through your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions. And the word character comes from the Greek word charasso, which means a notch, indentation, a sharpening, a scratching on writing or writing on stone, wood, or metal. I was thinking, can you imagine like writing on stone, wood, or metal? Can you just hear the squeal? Especially think of a tool you've heard cutting stone. And I think sometimes we like that as well, aren't we? When we get impressed, there's a squeal that happens, yeah. You think for a minute how much pressure, how much force is needed to actually leave an imprint on stone, wood, or metal. Tremendous amount of pressure. And from this word came the same, the meaning, you know, where they have the embossed stamp on a coin. Okay, now we have big machines to do that, but I reckon you wouldn't want to put your hand under that machine when it comes down. And this Greek word, charisa, appears in the New Testament in Hebrew 1, Hebrews 1, verse 3. It states that Christ is the very character of God, the very stamp of God's nature, and the one in whom God has stamped or imprinted his being. And that's where we get our English word of character as a distinctive marked impressed, okay? A distinct mark caused by internal or external pressure. I was thinking about that, and I think, as Christians, we get both, don't we? We get internal pressure. We get that tug as well where the spirit, you know, we're fighting against that, and we get external pressure as well, people that we deal with day to day. But this is the goal of our walk as Christians. It's to develop that nature of Christ within us, to actually have his nature imprinted on us. And we need to take on his character because it's from that character, from that nature, then you would operate in your giftings to expand the kingdom and bring God glory. And it's so important that we get that the right way around. Correct use of your gifting is going to flow out of your character, not the other way around. So character is the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and it's displayed in your responses and in your actions when you come under pressure. Frank Demasio puts it this way, you're not just born with character, you have to develop it. Character is cultivated after a person comes to Jesus, and that character is not a freely given gift of the Spirit. There are no shortcuts. Character development comes only from discipline of the flesh, and it takes time and dedication. And when you get to the point where you can see your own need for character development, then you've reached the beginning of that development. Sorry, it's just quite hot here. So as I said, character is not going to be developed without pressure. And think about it, when pressure comes, that is when you see the real person, don't you? That's when you see the character or lack thereof in a person that surfaces. It's easy to act and think in a certain way when God is blessing you, but you show your true character when the heat is on. How do you respond to disappointments and pressure? And you know what? The qualities that are truly part of your character are those qualities that stay consistent whether the heat is on or off. So that might be something to just think about during the week and just look at what you're exhibiting. And character's not just what other people see, it's what other people don't see. Joyce Meyer puts it like this, what you do in front of people is nothing if you're not living the same life at home behind closed doors. It's a really good thing. So a person can still be doing good works and still be ungodly. Works are not necessarily a sign of good character. And the Bible tells us, it tells us that we will be known and others will be known as well by their fruit, not by their works. 
Because the giftings are exactly that they gift, it is possible for someone to even be in major sin and for a time still be operating in their gifting until God exposes it or it gets exposed. And that's because I often used to wonder, how can that be? How could someone still get up and preach a fantastic sermon? But it's because the gifting is from God. It's nothing to do with the person. All right? So, but if you don't have the character to go with it, then you will come crashing down eventually. So characters, your inner life, as I already said. My second point is why we need character, and I think I showed you that with that um, illustration. But small-sized fruit or little character in the long run means small-sized ministry. Um, You know, there's a huge responsibility, as I said, that goes with ministry. You are dealing with people's lives and speaking into people's lives. And so there are consequences for that, and so God needs to ensure that you are going to be handling the weight of that correctly. Giftings have got weight, and so you need to be handling that. God does let you do some ministry, though, okay, while you're still immature, while you're still developing your fruit. And I think he does that out of his kindness towards us. It just keeps us going and just gives us that excitement to push on and spurs us on. But he's not going to fully lose you on the world until you've developed your character. I guess it's a little bit like riding your bike with training wheels, you first go on, you've got your training wheels, and you'd still have that exhilaration, that excitement, but there's still that little bit of protection there, and so then when the wheels come off, it's a different story, but you've got to be able to handle what you're going to be speaking into people's lives and dealing with. I can remember when um, Callan was learning to drive, that as well, you know, one of us always had to go with him in the car, obviously, and the first time that we let him go on the freeway, um, he was just like a little three-year-old boy. He got so excited. He was like, I feel like I'm flying. I feel like I'm flying. It was so exciting. He's probably saying, what was the point of telling that? I don't really know. Just, I guess, that you, you know, get that exhilaration when you start using your gift a little bit. And God gives that to you. And then you go into your character development. And just to explain that a bit further, let's say you've got a strong prophetic anointing with the gift of discernment of spirits or the gift of a word of knowledge. And God calls on you to step into someone's life or to speak a word of correction. Let's say, for example, that this person's a mocker. You pray about it, and for me, my prayer usually goes something like this. Oh God, do I have to speak to them? And that's because I know what follows, because I know what the word says, and I know from personal experience. And then I try to explain to him why it's a really bad idea, even though I've been whining maybe for months and months about having to keep quiet. Now when he releases me, it's like, I don't want to do this. Do I have to? It's not the right time. Um, And the timing's all wrong. It's a bad idea. And as I said, even though he might have given me the intel months or years before, and I've been praying for that person, and now he releases me to speak. So you get this direction from the Lord that, no, this is the time, this is what I want you to do, and you step in. And did you know that the Bible actually tells you what response you're going to get? Now, yeah, I'm just using one example. I'm talking about a mocker, okay? Proverbs 15, verse 12, a mocker resents correction. Proverbs 9, 7 to 8, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. All right, so by now I'm saying, Lord, are you hearing this? Are you hearing what your word is saying? Don't rebuke a mocker. For goodness sake, I'll be inviting insult, abuse, and hatred. 
Lord, if you're not hearing it, let me give you the message version because that's even clearer. (laughs) If you reason with an arrogant cynic, you'll get slapped in the face. Confront bad behavior and get a kick in the shins. So don't waste your time on a scoffer. All you'll get for your pains is abuse. So then I'd be like, okay, well, God, you know, it says don't confront a mocker. So what's the story here? But, you know, it comes with leadership, unfortunately. You've got care over a flock, and there might be someone that is eating something, you know, if you relate it to sheep, someone eating something that's poisonous and harmful for themselves. God may ask you to step in to bring correction there. It may go further where it starts to be a problem for the body and you have to step in for protection there. Proverb also tells you you'll not get a favorable response when you bring correction to an angry person or a person with a root of jealousy. And yet there are times when that is exactly what God asks you to do. The Bible tells you you are going to get these negative responses. So sometimes exercising your gift will lead you directly into conflict. So why am I telling you all this? To make you feel sorry for me, right? And behave yourself so I don't have to do it to you. No, but it's to illustrate this point that it's your character, not your gift, that enables you to hold your ground. Your character enables you to be able to see the big picture, to take any accusation, slander, lies, attack that might be leveled against you when you have to bring this correction or when you have to speak into someone's life. And it's your character, it's your fruit that enables you to stand and keep going back if God asks you to. Now, when I talk about developing fruit and it's fruit of the Spirit and you have to develop it, but the Holy Spirit is there helping you all the way. And sadly, it's not that just, oh, well, I'll grow this fruit today, lovely fruit, nice tree, and I've got all my fruit on and that's it for the rest of my life. That fruit gets picked Okay, people pick that, and so you've got to continuously grow new fruit. Some people are rude, and they just come and really yank it off the tree, I reckon. You know, some of those people, you have to, like, keep me quiet, Lord. Um, And I used to wonder about that scripture. You know where Jesus walks along, and he sees the fig tree, and it's got no figs, and he curses it? I used to think, poor tree, like, why did Jesus just curse it? It's not its fault that it hasn't got fruit on it. But then reading and studying that further, I read that it was the season for figs. So that tree should have had fruit and it didn't, and that's why I cursed it. And if we apply that to our lives, we need to have fruit. In ministry, um, people are going to be picking your fruit all the time, and you've always got to have something there for them to give them. So you work with the Holy Spirit to keep developing that fruit. Unfortunately, it's not just Hard work to get there and then it ends. It's daily, every day of your life. For the rest of your life, you'll be developing your fruit. But it's the fruit of faithfulness that enables me to keep interceding for that person, even when they're falsely accusing me. I can't do this in my own strength. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the fruit of self-control and kindness that keeps me putting up with the situation for longer than what I have to. It's the fruits of gentleness and faithfulness that motivate me to agonize over them in prayer, to agonize over my delivery once God releases me to speak. And it's the fruit of control that I need to exercise when I'm delivering this and it's not being received. So when you get negative responses, it's your character that is going to enable you to hold your ground. Your character will enable you to keep God's standard because there's a lot of pressure on you to bring that down and just, oh, let's just forget this all happened. You get that tremendous spiritual pressure to do that. 
And so it's your character that helps you to keep a standard because you know that you're going to answer to him. And if you don't have this character development, then ministry could and probably will crush you. All right, so it's that character that helps you to deal with people over and over and over again. And when you go to God and I just can't take any more, and what does he say to you? He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, then feed my sheep. So you need that inner character in you to keep you going. And that character is what's going to help you give the correct response. It determines your response. It stops you from becoming disillusioned and bitter and giving up. And then you're able to process the hurt and hand it back to him and then keep going back for more. That's what it feels like sometimes. All right. Um, A very, very good illustration of this is Joseph. You all know the story of Joseph and his technicolor coat, right? I think even non-Christians should know that one. He went to jail for 13 years after being sold into slavery. As if that wasn't bad enough, being sold into slavery, he then went to prison for 13 years. And you know why he went to prison? God had given him prophetic dreams, which he shared with his brothers. They were so jealous they wanted to kill him, his own family, his brothers. He'd done nothing wrong. All he had done was accept and believe and get excited about the prophetic dreams that God gave him. That's all he'd done. So to go from that straight into the journey that he went to, how opposite must that have felt to God's promises? How much despair, how abandoned must he have felt? Can you imagine him sitting in jail, you know, whispering in despair? Think of your own life. Some of you have situations right now where it feels like that. I'm sure everyone has had, and if they haven't got one right now, and we know that there will be more in the future, but sitting there in despair, just whispering, and I know I've said said these words many times myself, God, why is this happening? This is so unfair. I haven't done anything wrong. What's going on? But God had this under control. It was Joseph's time of character development. See, God had a much bigger picture for him. And we can see in retrospect, if you look at what Joseph became, that God had allowed this to strategically position him for what was going to come many, many years later. He had to have his character worked on to carry the weight and responsibility that was coming. Because remember, his eventual position, he ruled over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. All right, And he couldn't have gone from those prophetic dreams straight into that position he wouldn't have handled it properly. He was 17 years old when he got the dreams. And I know at 17 you think you know it all, but obviously he would not have been able to handle that at 17. It was only in his 30s that that fulfillment came of the dreams. And he was of necessity a very different person to the young boy to whom the dreams were given. Two important points that I want you to note It's really important that you realize that Joseph was fully cooperating with God. And it still took more than 13 years, okay? The 13 years, just the jail time. And you've got to also note that you can't accurately and properly correct God and uh, represent God in ministry unless you represent his character. And Joseph allowed God to work on his character. His situation was obviously the polar opposite to what he would have expected, but he didn't give up. He could have allowed himself to become despondent. He could have allowed himself to blame God, to question God. He definitely would not have understood what was happening to him. 
yet he still trusted God and he maintained a right attitude in the absence of any understanding of why this was happening. And that's something that I, I know I find really difficult and I'm sure others can agree with me. We want God to give us an explanation. If we just knew why, because we think, oh, well, that will just help to keep me going. We want God to actually justify to us why we are going through the situation, why we have to go through the situation. I know I do that. And as I said, Joseph could not understand, but you know what? He would never have imagined the eventual outcome in his wildest dreams, but he still maintained a right attitude. And I know he maintained a right attitude because the Bible tells us that when he was sold as a slave and he was taken into Potiphar's house, he rose up, a young 17-year-old slave, through the ranks, and he was ruling over the household, so he had people under him. And then when he went to jail, the warden, the Bible tells us, put him in, in charge of the jail and all the prisoners. Even though he was still a prisoner himself, he was ruling over that. So God was with him. God gave him favor. And look at the training he received. You think of what he was going to rule over eventually. So he started off ruling over a few servants in a home, ruling over prison, obviously probably a few more people, and more responsibility to prepare him. So there's a progression there in his leadership and training. And yet as his life, as the training progressed, it would look like his life was going further and further away from that initial prophecy. Okay, At 16... He was the beloved son. He was his father's favorite. He was spoiled, and he was in his home with his parent. Okay? At 17, he ended up as a lowly slave in a foreigner's house after having been sold by his brothers. And there he rose up to lead the household. Then he was falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. And he rose up through excellence there as well. And it struck me that although prison seemed a huge step backwards, if you just look at it in the natural in terms of his leadership training, it was actually progression. All right? It was promotion. And he developed a spirit of excellence in his attitude. And you know why he had to go through that? Because the ministry that God had for him, the actual ministry was so much bigger than that dream that was given. And you might have received a glimpse of your calling or your ministry and where you are right now might seem totally opposite. Your current situation might feel for you like a prison, but it might be your training ground. What is your attitude here in this, in this ground? And, you know, I wanna, this is a really thought-provoking thing I want you to think about. Where you think that your prophetic word, that where you think the release of your ministry might manifest itself is going to always be far inferior to what God wants to do, where he wants to place you, and the impact that he wants to have through your life. I'm just going to say that again because I think it's really important to lock that into your spirit and your head. Where you think your prophetic word or where you think the, man, um, the release of your ministry might manifest itself will always be inferior to where God wants to place you and to the eternal effect that he wants to have through you. Imagine what Joseph might have thought, Okay. When he was thinking about the dream, he got the dreams, he was so excited, and that's another thing, be wise about who you share your dreams with, but he was so excited, he went and he shared it with his brothers, and they were so jealous of him, but he would have been looking at it in the context of his life at that time, so 16, 17-year-old boy, probably thinking, wow, I'm going to be a big sheep rancher, I'm going to have this big ranch, I'm going to have my parents living on the granny flat there looking after them, 
going to be looking after my brothers and sisters and everybody's going to be so grateful to me and they're all, you know, the buying done and so happy with me. That's probably how he saw and interpreted it when he got the dream. And what was God's thoughts? No, son, I'm going to place you in charge of the world's most powerful empire. You will run that empire for me. You're going to save your family from starvation and most of the world at that time. You'll bring your family down into the bosom of that empire, in and through which I will birth not only the nation of Israel, fulfilling my promise to Abraham, but I'll release them after the slavery for 100 years into the land of Canaan, thereby preparing the way for my son to come, fulfilling my promise to Eve and to humanity that a saviour will come. That's just making me shiver when I hear that. So just think of how we would get our dream and get excited and look at it and look at what the differences that God has. So what circumstance do you find yourself in now? What type of service are you giving in that circumstance? I was just um, having a little chuckle thinking about Lifehouse and, and the service, some of the stuff we have to do here. Emptying toilet bins every Sunday is no mean feat, especially when you smell those men's toilets. Am I right, girls? Yeah, it's true. I'm not saying it's you. You know it's school boys' toilets. You know what they're like. Um, I said to David, do you guys actually smell it or is it just us? He said, no, they do smell it. It's bad. I just didn't know. I thought maybe they were so used to it. But people are here at quarter past seven, week in and week out. And you don't always know what you're going to find when you come here at quarter past seven on a Sunday morning. Lena's come before where windows have been smashed in over the weekend and so she's had to clean up glass. Chris has had to scratch around and find boards and tape from who knows where to cover the graffiti, the swearing that's been sprayed on these doors. Okay? Um, Stacy has to often come into that room and there's junk everywhere and she's got to clean that up. Last week, our equipment room at the back, we came in because of all the rain. That was all soaked as well and floors had to be mopped up. Barry and Crystal have come in another week and had to go home and get their mop because of rain flooding in the treehouse room. And I know that I could probably mention a story with every one of you if I had time. So while some people are snugly tucked up in bed on a Sunday morning, there's always a flurry of activity going on here. Just last week, Kelly was looking for creative ways to get those toilets to flush. Okay, and <laughs> there's phone calls flying through the air often before the service. How do we, you know, to try and decide what we're going to do to deal, we deal with this and that before the service. And you know what, my point is not to brag about how wonderful we are, although I think we are pretty awesome. But my main point is there are a lot of people here serving in areas that they don't necessarily enjoy. But they know it's a season, and the attitudes, for the most part, are excellent. I was going to change it to say the attitudes are excellent, not for the most part, and then I thought I'd better leave it in for myself, because sometimes I grumble a bit. But, um, you know, Crystal, Crystal does treehouse most weeks. She doesn't enjoy that. She's an admin person. She loves admin. She even did a course and stuff on business just because that's something she really enjoyed. And she's like, oh, I wondered why I did it. And then, you know, the gifting came out. But people are doing things that they not, not, might not necessarily enjoy, and they're giving excellence because it's a season for them. So I want to encourage you that don't be despondent, give excellence no matter what situation you're in. Don't sit around and whine and wait for something to happen before you decide you're going to step up. God will promote you in his time and his way if you cooperate with him, and that is what he's looking for. What is your attitude in those situations when it's not going your way in the way that you think it should go?
And you know, don't despise the training and the situation because you have to think of it this way. There's only two things. Either God has caused it himself, he's put you in the situation, or if he hasn't, at the very least, he's allowed it. All right? And so you need to remember that nothing comes as a shock to him, nothing blindsides him. So trust him, keep a right attitude, and he will turn it to good. Joseph forgave his brothers later, and he said to them, what you meant for harm, God has used for good. Right? It's just about having that bigger picture mentality. And I know it's not easy, but could you imagine one day being able to, to look back and forgive those who have harmed you and actually say, through what you did to me, God has taught me such and such, and he's refined me and put me where I am today. How awesome would that be? What a testimony. So as I said, the gifting, the callings there, God has put them there himself, and your character needs to be developed. You need to go into that place of training. Heat and pressure will come. You do not get developed without heat and pressure. And sometimes if you don't realize that, you can feel really frustrated because you think nothing is happening. And like Joseph, it might seem the polar opposite, okay? It might seem it's going the totally opposite way. And I don't think there's anybody here who would not agree that it would be sheer stupidity to give someone a machine gun and not follow up with intensive training on how to correctly and responsibly use it. We wouldn't give someone who's never learned to drive and hasn't got any road sense and no knowledge of road rules, we wouldn't give them a powerful Ferrari and just let them loose on the road, would we? They most likely kill themselves and others. And you know what, though? That is exactly... Although we might not realize that that's exactly what we're expecting to be allowed to do in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm when you get that exciting word and that, get that calling and then don't submit yourself to the training and the character development that comes. Because you've got to remember, if you're using them correctly, with maturity, with correct training, gifts are powerful, powerful weapons. They're weapons, the Bible says, mighty weapons to the tearing down of strongholds. You think of the power of, say, preaching gifts or speaking over someone's life or praying over them, speaking the word of God. The Bible says that word, his word, divides between bone and marrow. That's powerful. It goes right in. Demons are commanded to go, and they have to go, the spoken word and in the name of Jesus. People get set free like that from bondages. All right? Um, If you've got a gift of a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, powerful giftings, powerful weapons, and the minutes that it takes you to speak that out to the person, they can be set free where years and years and months of counseling would not have the same effect. So these are powerful gifts we're talking about, and you have to be prepared to submit yourself to training to handle them correctly. You've got to remember as well, you operate your weapons in a battlefield situation. How you deliver, okay, how you respond is dependent on your character. How you're going to stand is character-based. You can train a soldier how to use a weapon, all right? But you know what? It's not the weapon. It's not that gun, that gift in his hand that makes him stay on that front line. It's the character. It's what is inside him that makes him stand. The guarantee you would have had in the war, people with gun, you can put a gun in their hands, still turn and run away with a gun in your hand, your gift, but it's your character that makes you stay there and hold your line. And especially important as well, prophetic downloads. 
Those of you who operate in prophetic giftings will know that God gives dreams and, well, you know, he can give it to everybody, not just people who have that gifting, but dreams and visions. And, you know, often the vision that he gives you is not something you'd actually want to go and share with the person because it's intel that he's given you so that you can start interceding. And often it's not a nice picture, it's very negative because God is showing you the heart condition often and the condition that the person's in. And if you haven't been trained and you're immature and you're gifting, you may just go and deliver this picture to the person and you can bring devastation and death to them. If you've had training, you learn, you will learn that God gives you that and then you write, God, I've got to intercede and pray. This is intelligence for me. What do you want me to do with it? And often he won't get you to deliver it. And when he does, he will change it or he'll turn it. You will never deliver it in the negative. But lots of people don't know that. People get excited. Prophetic ministry, they've got these visions and pictures and they just want to go and share it and it can absolutely wreak havoc in people's lives. So you have got to have training and maturity to know that, okay? To know when to deliver and what you have to do with that. Graham Cook gives a really good illustration of this. Um, He went to um, visit a church, and obviously most of you all know he's a renowned prophet, and he got a picture of one of the people in leadership, on the leadership team, actually standing with a knife, stabbing the pastor in the back. That was the picture God gave him. But he was not to bring that to that man. And later on in the weekend, God showed him, right, this is what I want you to do with the man. I want you to get a broomstick, put it in his hand, get the pastor and get him and put them back to back, which he did. Put the broomstick in the man's hand and said, God is telling me, this is your weapon. You are here to protect this man and to build him up and fight for him. That broke him. And then in private, Graham was able to speak to him. He repented and realized, you know, he knew what he'd been doing. Instead of just bringing a public word, you're stabbing your pastor in the back, which could have made him just push off. All right? And that's what God does. So the word, even when it is a word to bring correction, it's still going to be done in an encouraging way that is going to convict and bring life. But if he'd been immature and he hadn't known that and just shared that picture with the guy, it could be a very different story. All right? So you have to have that training. Don't despise the journey. That's my third point. There are no shortcuts. Don't despise the journey. Joseph was in jail for 13 years, and as I said, that was with full cooperation. It's going to take the time it takes. There are no shortcuts. You can lengthen it if you want to, but you can't shorten it, okay? You can lengthen it, though. That doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to be in this desert for 13 years. You might be in life's going to be terrible. You've got the right attitude, you're still doing things, you're still growing, you're still learning, you have your ups and downs, but it's not like you're just sitting there in this arid place, absolutely horrible life for 13 or 20 years or whatever it takes. Now those extracts that I gave you for what David now received in 1989, and a lot of you here were toddlers then still, but that is what's currently taking place in our lives now, and it's not even fully out the whole word, it's just starting now. And like I said, like Joseph, those words were given to the David and Carolyn who were to become, who are a bit different and hopefully wiser. I think we are a little bit, yeah. No, David's starting to thin on the top, but he says that's down to all of you guys. But you know what? And this might come as a surprise to some of you because this is actually the worked-on version that's delivering, you know, the message. 
Um, if I didn't have the character training I had, I would be chopping off heads, legs, and other parts, believe me, it's my preaching. This is the worked-on version, so although I might be straight, this is still the worked-on version, and I'm hopefully bringing it God's way, not my way. So 23 years in training, but longer than Joseph's 15 or so years, but a lot shorter than Moses' 80 years. And I can remember when I was feeling despondent at times, my mother-in-law, and it didn't feel helpful at the time, but she's like, well, don't worry, Moses was in the desert for 40 years, and I'm thinking like, oh, that's not really encouraging. But then I figured, well, he lived a lot longer than us, so 40 years relative to my lifespan will be, you know. And then David reminded me, no, Moses' training wasn't 40 years, it was actually 80 years, because he had that first 40 years in the palace where he had to grow up and be raised there, and then he had his 40 years in the desert. So I think we're doing okay. Um, not that I in any way think my training's finished, unfortunately. I know it will continue on. But God's the one who promotes, okay? Um, I might touch on some of that next week where we need to be careful we don't rush out and try and make the prophecy happen. He's the one who promotes. We've just got to submit ourselves to the training. And he has a challenge for you. Have your responses and your walk in whatever circumstance you're in, has it been a testimony to those around you? In particular to the unsaved, has your life and your responses, has it piqued their curiosity to want to seek this God you serve? Or has your responses, have it encouraged and spurred on your fellow believers? Listen to what Paul wrote from prison. He was in prison, Philippians 1, from the message. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has actually prospered. All of the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. Excuse me, that piqued their curiosity and now they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves and their faith than ever, speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. We might be so concerned that God remove us from our prison, whatever that might be for you, that we miss the lessons that he has for us. We miss the outworking of his plan. And you know what? I don't know. God's got a sense of humor. But in fact, I can guarantee that in any given situation, God will not work it out the way that you think it should be worked out. Who cannot testify to that? Yep. And I guess that's why he tells us in his word that his thoughts and ways are not our thoughts and ways. And in the same verse... um, Paul goes on to write that his thoughts and ways are higher than ours. And he's not just talking space here because, you know, God's in heaven and we're down here. When he says his thoughts and ways are higher, it means they're superior, they are better. And so when we don't understand and it looks opposite, we have to just rest in that knowledge that his ways are superior. He knows what he's doing. And our prison term might seem long. That God that was with Joseph when he went into Egypt, the God who was with him when he was put in prison is the same God that's with you today. Graham Cook says this, go with God as he goes after your circumstance. Pursue what you know to be true of God. Continue in worship and trusting. The outcome is God's part. The process is yours. The process is ours. So are we able to say yes to character development, even if it means suffering to be part of a a much bigger story that Joseph, as we saw in Joseph? In spite of his circumstances, he had God's favor. 
And I really believe, and the words you know, testifies to that, it's because of his attitude in that circumstance. He didn't just go and sit in a corner. He could have sat in that prison in a corner and put his life on hold until things got better. He acted in that circumstance. He still lived fully in excellence in spite of it, and God granted him favor because of that. When I spoke about you can lengthen your training, I would say that where you put your life on hold and go and sit in a corner and hope for things to get better, that's definitely a very good way if you want to know how to lengthen your training because God is interested in your character and what you're doing with that situation. So just be careful of doing that as well. I'm just going to leave you with um, an encouraging conversation between a person and God. Somebody posted this on Facebook and it just fitted really well with this. God, can I ask you a question? Sure, says God, yeah. Promise you won't get mad? I promise. Why did you let so much stuff happen to me today? What do you mean? Well, I woke up late. Yes. My car took forever to start. Okay. At lunch, they made my sandwich wrong and I had to wait. Mm-hmm. On the way home, my phone went dead just as I picked up a call. This is God now, all right, me. And on top of it all, when I got home, I just wanted to soak my feet in my new foot massager and relax. But it wouldn't work. Nothing went right today. Why did you do that? Yeah, this is God responding now. Let me see. Oh, the death angel was at your bed this morning and I had to send one of the other angels to battle him for your life. I'll let you sleep through that. Oh, I didn't let your car stop because there was a drunk driver on your route that would have hit you if you were on the road. Oh, getting ashamed now, right? The first person who made your sandwich today was sick and I didn't want you to catch what they have. I knew you couldn't afford to miss work. Okay. Your phone went dead because the person that was calling you was going to give false witness about what you said on that call. I didn't even let you talk to them so you would be covered. I see, God. Oh, yeah, and that foot, foot massager, it had a shortage that was going to throw out all the power in your house tonight. I didn't think you wanted to be in the dark. I'm sorry, God. Don't be sorry. Just learn to trust me in all things, the good and the bad. I will trust you. And don't doubt that my plan for your day is always better than your plan. I won't, God, and let me just tell you, God, thank you for everything today. You're welcome, child. It was just another day being your God, and I love looking after my children. So here's your challenge. Trust and worship God in your circumstance and see what he does with that. And remember, things are not always what they seem.